Good stuff. Oh, thank you. That was great. The Crooked Man. Um, who did that song? Nicole Norderman? Is that right? Susan Ashton. Susan Ashton. Sorry. Get it mixed up. Um, that, have you ever known anybody like that? Crooked man? Crooked woman? Crooked life? Crooked in every way you can imagine, but you, nobody, well, I won't say nobody, most people didn't realize it, or especially you, until you'd been sucked in, so to speak. That's partially what we're talking about this morning. Uh, the theme uh, that I have for you, that I have for you, that I'll show you, is how to deal with being framed, taken advantage of, or just plain shafted. Um, I, wanted, I wanted the band to do the country song, uh, uh, she got the gold mine, then I got the shaft, but I didn't know, I, I didn't, I, you know, that might be just a little too much for him, you know? That's an old country song, and uh, obviously it's about a broken marriage and so forth. But, um, so what we're talking about here, whether we're talking about mean-spirited people who intend to hurt, or whether we're talking about just what might be called the bad breaks of life, for lack of a better term. Maybe it's something that I caused. Maybe it's something that I partially caused. Maybe it's something that I, I had nothing to do with that happened to me. It doesn't really matter. We're taking all those together, all those scenarios together. Um, great writer of uh, Roman history, Edward Gibbon, said this, The winds and waves are always on the side of the ablest navigators. And I like that quote, and I hope you can see that. And I realize, we realize that, the uh, screen's a little more well-lit than we would like, but that's kind of the result of where we are. That's going to change uh, whenever we get into the opera house, which should be sometime before 2005. But um, no, I'm, yeah, we're grateful to be here, and, and by God's grace, we'll be in there very soon. Um, and we have a wedding in there, actually, too, pretty quickly, and that's before 2005. So we're trying to figure some things out. But in the meantime, we're going to deal with what we got in terms of the lighting. But, and I hope you can see that quote, okay? The winds and waves are always on the side of the ablest navigators. I like the way that, that just sort of encapsulates what we're talking about. How, how do we navigate those so-called winds and waves of life that sometimes people do to us and sometimes happen to us? How do we handle that? I want to take you to, I think, just one of the great stories, one of the great comeback stories, one of the great triumphant stories of the, of the whole Bible, and particularly of the Old Testament. And this, this guy, Joseph, who I have made, I spent quite a bit of time with Joseph. Um, I, I feel like he's a friend. I feel like he's a close friend because I have read both he and David's stories over and over and over again just because... Just some of the things that we can learn from there. So I wanna, I wanna, we're going to do a, more than normal. Those of you who are with us regularly will realize uh, do a little more normal, a little more reading than normal in terms of the, the text this morning. But I want to give you a good overview of what we're talking about with, with Joseph's, Joseph's life. For some of you, it might be the first time. For some of you, it might be a reminder. It doesn't really matter. But Joseph, of course, was, we, we often have heard, if you, if you know anything about Joseph, and you may not, and that's fine. But if you've heard anything about Joseph, you may have heard about the, the multicolored coat. In fact, it was made famous and even more famous in the Bible story, not more famous in the Bible story, but sort of made famous the Bible story of Joseph and the amazing dream coat, which was uh, Broadway and some other things that they did with that. And of course, 
We know Joseph because of this multicolored coat, this great coat that his father gave to him, which symbolized the father's favoritism of this, of this one out of one of his 12 sons. And of course, some people say what's going to happen happened because of that. Don't know all the motives that are involved. Certainly jealousy was one of them. But that happens. His brothers, I think there might have been a little pride issue on Joseph as he would had some dreams and told his brothers that, hey, someday you're going to bow down to me. It, it could have been sincere. There might have been a little tinge of, hey, <laughs> big brothers, someday you're going to bow down to me, dirt balls. <laughs> there may have been some of that. I don't know. Um, there would have been, if it had been me and my brother, I would have sure you because I'm the younger brother. But um, whatever the case, they concoct this plan to get rid of him. And uh, they basically capture him, and they, he comes to bring him some food from home. Basically, they're out in the, sh- in the, in the fields, uh, minding the, the sheep and so forth. And uh, they put him in a, what is known as a dry well, a dry cistern. And they leave him there. And their, their original plan is to kill him, and then they decide, they decide not, to, not to kill him. They decide to do something else. That's where we come into the story, and just follow along with me here. If you can see this, if not, just listen closely, and I'll, I'll be reading it carefully. So Judah, that's one of his older brothers, says to the others, what can we gain by killing our brother? That would just give us a guilty conscience. I always find that an interesting statement. Not that it's wrong. We shouldn't kill somebody. But, oh, dang, I don't want to kill him. I might get a guilty conscience. Okay, uh, that's, uh, that'll work for you. At least don't. Anyway, let's do something different. Let's be a little nicer. Verse 27, let's sell Joseph to those Ishmaelite traders. Let's not be responsible for his death. Almost like saying, let them kill him. Uh, Let's not be responsible for his death. After all, he's our brother. And his brothers agreed. Some sick reasoning there, isn't it? Um, So when the traders came by, the brothers pulled Joseph out of this pit or this well and and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the Ishmaelite traders took him along to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben, that's one of his other brothers, older brothers, returned to get Joseph out of the pit. He didn't know this whole thing had taken place. And when he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in anguish and frustration. And then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what can I do now? And of course, they explained to him the scenario that they had concocted. Now, want to skip down or skip ahead to another chapter later on. By the way, you can read the whole story for yourself if you'd like, beginning in Genesis chapter 36, and it goes all the way through chapter 50. That's a lot of reading, but it's good reading. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just doing a little summation here for you. So what happens? Joseph gets sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt where these slave traders are going to do what slave traders do, sell him into slavery to somebody else. So then we skip ahead to chapter 39 in Genesis. Now, when Joseph arrived in Egypt with the Ishmaelites, uh, with the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, a member of the personal staff of the Pharaoh, sort of like the, the cabinet of the president, if you will, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. God gave him success in everything that he did. Now look what happens in verse 6. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry. He didn't have a worry in the world except to decide what he wanted to eat. Now, Joseph was a very handsome and a well-built young man. And about this time, Potiphar's wife began to desire him and invited him to sleep with her. But Joseph refused. 
So we got a little scenario coming in here. Already, right here we are. Back in the Old Testament times, we've already got a nice little sex and, you know, alleged sex scandal. You thought that was new, didn't you? You thought that was just in our lifetime. <laughs> Wrong. It's been going on for a long time. So here we go. What's going to happen here? Verse 10. She kept putting pressure on him. This is tough right here. Guys, think about this, all right? She kept putting pressure on him day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. That tells you something. Either this man has tremendous self-control, or she's one of the ugliest women on the face of the earth. I'm not sure which, but, but <laughs> you, you can deal with that and think about it. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, one day, however, verse 11, no one else, uh, when no one else was around doing his, work, uh, doing his work inside the house, she came, grabbed him by his shirt, demanding, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but as he did, his shirt came off. She was holding it as he ran from the house. He literally ran. When she saw that she had his shirt and that he had fled, she began screaming. Soon all the men around the place came running. My husband has brought this Hebrew slave here and to insult us, she sobbed. He tried to rape me, but I screamed. But he heard my loud cries. He ran and left his shirt behind with me. Um, she kept the shirt with her, and when her husband came home that night, she told the story. The Hebrew slave you had around tried to make a fool of me, she said. I was saved only by my screams. He ran out. He left his shirt behind. Verse 19 now. After hearing his wife's story, Potiphar was furious. He took Joseph and threw him into a prison with the king's prisoners where they were held. But the Lord was with Joseph there too. He gained favor, granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. Before long, the jailer put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened. He put him over everything that happened in prison. He becomes sort of the king of the trustees, if we would call it that today. So no matter what happens, this guy gets knocked down. He keeps, there's an old saying, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, the guy lands on his feet. He would keep landing on his feet. I believe it was by God's power, by God's grace that that happened. But you can see, all this stuff is going on. Was he at fault for this? No. Could he have been at fault a little bit for making his brothers jealous? Maybe. But that's, that's not the point. The point is what they did was horribly wrong, starting this whole ball rolling here. So this is, this is a tough deal. And so now he's in prison. I mean, this, this thing gets worse and worse and worse, like Steve was talking about earlier. The comeback is so great because he is, I mean, he's way down by, because of a bunch of crooked people. By the way, some scholars believe that Potiphar may not have believed his wife. Because at this time, had that been really the case, um, he would have been, Joseph would have been put to death if those accusations were true. So there's some, many, many Old Testament scholars say, while, the, while Potiphar was furious, we're, we're not totally sure he totally believed the whole story. So whatever the case was, Joseph ends up in prison. Now, a, a whole lot happens because after verse, I just read to you all the way through verse 22, before long the jailer put Joseph in charge of everything and so forth. A whole lot happens in this next part that we're not going to read. But let me just tell you what's going on. Um, I, I'll try to... Just do it real quick for you. And that is this. A famine hits the land. Joseph had predicted that because he interpreted one of Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh puts him in charge basically as prime minister, second in command, answers only to Pharaoh, of all of Egypt. So Joseph now is really a big dog. I mean, he really is. Okay? As a result of the famine, his brothers come 
to the, to the capital city, so to speak, to look for food. And who do they find sitting in the place of power that's in charge of all the food, all the resources for that kind? Who do they find? But their old brother Joseph, who they had around 20 years earlier, had sold into slavery. So 20 years has passed, and they're about ready to meet Joseph. How do you think they feel? Mm. Look, uh, here's what I have for you. Chapter 50, verse 14. Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's funeral. I, I, I skipped a whole bunch of stuff. Let me, let me back up a minute. All right. um, they come to him. Um, they, um, they get food. He helps them. He gets some food. They do, there's some other shenanigans that go on. I won't go into it. But, uh, so then he st- they, they make peace with each other, and everything's fine, except that Joseph's father uh, is now, now dies. The father of their brothers, he dies, and there's a funeral. That's what's good. So, so, so it appears as though things are okay between Joseph and his brothers. They've made up. They've talked and so forth. But here's what I want you to see right here. Uh, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers, who had all accompanied him to his father's funeral. But now that their father was dead, here it is, Joseph's brothers became afraid. Now Joseph will pay us back for all the evil we did to him, they said. So they're still thinking, okay, we've made peace, everything's fine, it's been over 20 years, everything's going to be great. And then Joseph's father dies, their father dies, the brother's father died, it was Joseph's father. And, and they're like, okay, now dad is dead. Maybe Joseph has been being merciful to us just because of dad. So now it's going to be hell to pay, literally. We're, we're, it, it, we're, we're dead. We're dead. That's what, that's what they're worried about. Um, Joseph perceives this because of verse 15. But now their father was dead. Joseph's brothers became afraid. Joseph will pay us back. Now look in verse 19. But Joseph told them, don't be afraid of me. Am I God to judge and punish you? As far as I'm concerned, are you ready for this? Great statement. God turned into good what you meant for evil. Mark that. God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position I have today so I can save the lives of many people. So don't be afraid. I myself will take care of you and your families. And he spoke very kindly, reassuring them. Wow. God had done a work in his heart. I don't know if I would have responded that way. Do you? Not me. I'm talking about you. You probably, if you know me, you know how I would have responded. I'd have gotten my three iron out, and I said, I can't hit a golf ball with it, but I can hit you with it, so here you go. But uh, um, I'm not sure I would have responded in that godly of a fashion. Obviously, God had done a work in his heart. And he said, man, that is a, God turned into good what you meant for evil. Now, I want to talk about it in terms of with you and you being taken advantage of by some, somebody. Maybe it's a business partner who just shafted you for untold tons of money. This year I had the opportunity to, to meet up with an old friend of mine that I hadn't seen in quite a while. He was a good friend and helped me tremendously as a partner in, 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 in the church that I pastored in Vail. And one of the first, not one of, the first thing he talked to me about was another guy who I also knew who had been a friend of both of ours who had just done all those things, shafted taken advantage, basically robbed my guy, my friend, of a lot of money, over $3 million. And uh, my friend didn't have $3 million to lose. 
And we talked about it. We spent the whole day together just playing golf and talking, mostly talking. And, um, and he finally said to me, you know, Rich, it's not the money. It's what it does to you when somebody betrays you. Somebody lies to you. That's so hard. And it's been, at this point, this was this, this summer, he said, it has been about two years since all this has come to light. And I'm, I'm, I'm not getting over it yet. I'm still dealing with it. So, and you know, you ever feel that way? Maybe it was a business situation. Maybe it was an ex-mate. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a parent who abused you or molested you. Maybe it was a child who turned their back on you. It, it just, it, it just, the list goes on of the opportunities that there are for us to be taken advantage of, shafted, uh, you know, all the different things that can happen. Just lied to. Just lied to. Like, that's a bad, like, that's a, that's a minor thing? No. So how do I deal with this? I mean, how did Joseph have that attitude? And that's what I want to talk about. And I want to just give you just, just three or four real quick things. And here's the thing. Um, I'd like to give you a formula. So you do these three or four or five things, and baby, you're, you're out of here, and you're good. No problem. I'd like to do that. But there ain't no formula. If there was, I'd bottle it and sell it and make a whole lot of money and you could come down to St. Bart's or somewhere and visit me and we'd talk about it there. Um, there's no formula, folks. What I'm going to do is give you some thoughts to help you think through this a little bit and to deal with it, whether it be something you're dealing with now, whether it be something you're dealing with in the past, or whether it be something you might have to deal with in the future. Kind of equip you for that, all right? So just some thoughts, just to kind of go along with us, just to get you to think along. Number one thing is this. Be aware. Be aware. God is weaving together an incredible drama out of your life. Just like he did with Joseph. It may not be the same type of thing, but God is weaving that together. God is writing a story within a story in your life. And I love that. He's writing a story within a story. Um, God's blessings can, can, be, can come disguised in many different forms. And sometimes it may not necessarily look to be a good thing. And it all comes back to, to, am I a person of faith? Because being a person of faith means that it's not just that I, I trust God. It's that I trust God particularly in those things that I don't understand. Because that's real faith. It's real easy to trust God with the things that I do understand. It's real difficult sometimes to have faith and to trust God in the things that I don't understand. Let me show you something real quick. Uh, a little film clip here uh, that I used when he originally did this, this message back in a year, almost exactly a year ago. Um, and it comes from a, a Mel Gibson movie, not The Passion. Before that, um, Signs. And I'm not much of a sci-fi guy, but I did watch this movie because it was just... I'd read that it had some really great content in it. Let me set this up for you. Uh, Mel Gibson in this particular, it's going to be dark and we're going to get the lights off, but you're still not going to be able to see it real well because of our setting, but that's okay. Just listen closely. Um, Mel Gibson is a pastor, I think Lutheran. Was he a Lutheran pastor? I'm not sure, but I, I think he was a Lutheran pastor um, because he, he wore the backward color and all that, but he was married. And uh, that's my deduction. That's my logic. Sorry. Um, anyway, um, and he, it could have been, he could have been an Episcopal priest, but I think he was Lutheran. In any case, he has lost faith 
in God and as a result has given up the ministry. And in a particular clip, what's going on? He and his brother are sitting on the couch because aliens are taking over their farm in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, um, uh, which is where it was filmed. But don't get hung up on the alien stuff. I mean, it's kind of fun. And all. But, but more important, that's what's happening. And I want you just to listen to a description that this, this former, quote-unquote, former pastor is giving in terms of details to his, uh, to his uh, brother. So listen carefully, all right? Get the lights down here and... Uh, Get that thing started. Some people are probably thinking this is the end of the world. That's true. Do you think it could be? Yes. How can you say that? That wasn't the answer you wanted. Can you pretend to be like you used to be? <laughs> Give me some comfort. People break down into two groups. When they experience something lucky, group number one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence. They see it as a sign, evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. It is just pure luck. Happy turn of chance. I'm sure the people in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in a very suspicious way. For them, this situation is a 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. And that fills them with fear. There's a whole lot of people in the group number one. And they see those 14 lights. They're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever's going to happen, there'll be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. See, what you have to ask yourself is what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs, sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at the question this way. Is it possible that there are no coincidences?
I'm a miracle man. Those lights are a miracle. There you go. So which type are you? Do you feel comforted? Yeah, I do. Then what does it matter? I'm a miracle man. Isn't that a great... Sorry, you can't see it that well, but isn't that a great little dialogue about the two different kinds of people? The Bible says that we have a God in heaven. And Joseph points it out here for us in such great literature for us as well as eternal truth. We have a God in heaven who's weaving together an incredible drama in our lives. And he's writing a story within a story. That's great. That's, that gives us hope. That gives us comfort. That shows who in whom, excuse me, we trust. Let me show you another quote from a great Roman philosopher. If you see a man unterrified in the midst of dangers, untouched by desires, happy in adversity, peaceful amid the storm, will you not say a divine power has descended upon that man? Seneca. That's so true because of one's trust in Almighty God. So that's the first thought. Be aware, God is weaving together an incredible drama out of your life. Another thought that I want you to think about. These won't take long, but let me just go through them. Be cautious. Don't be too quick to judge the knuckleballs of life. Um, I, I suppose I need to explain my vernacular here for those of you who are not baseball fans. Real quickly, not that I can do this. I think I can, actually, but, but I, I throw a knuckleball. A knuckleball is when a pitcher throws a knuckleball, and they, they, I have read and listened to interviews of the great knuckleballers. They don't know where it's going. They throw it, and it just, it's going all over the place. And you have to have sometimes special catchers who can, catch, who can catch knuckleball pitchers because they don't know where that ball's going. And, and what happens to the batter, you know, you're sitting there and you, you think it's going to be a curve or it's going to be a fastball. It's going to be this. And it's like, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. I like that illustration to describe life because we get some of those knuckleballs in life. We don't know where that came from. How did that happen? I didn't see, you ever, you ever say this? I didn't see that coming, you know? And we've all been in experiences like that. So what I want you to see is be cautious don't be too quick to judge the knuckleballs of life. I'm sure that Joseph, when he's sitting there going out to help his brothers, taking them food in their feet for the sheep or taking them food for themselves as they're attending to the sheep, I'm sure that he's sitting there saying, hey, this is great, life is good, I'm dad's favorite and everything's wonderful. Hey, 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 let's rock and roll. I'm sure he's doing great. Okay? And then all of a sudden they say, you know what, we're really sick of you and we don't like you or the horse you rode in on. Come on. Boom. And they take him and throw him into a, you know, and he's sitting here at the bottom of this dry cistern going, whoa, what am I going to do? Be careful with that because you never know how that's going to turn out. As I've said many times to people, hey, this, the end of this story hasn't been written yet. It's so quick when you're in those situations to jump to a conclusion. Oh, my gosh, my life as I know it has ended. This is terrible. This is awful. God help me. Hey, hang in there. You don't, you don't know the end of that story yet. So be cautious. Don't be too quick to judge the knuckleballs of life that come your way and so forth. Um, here's, a, here's, here's a couple of real quick little quotes. Um, Chinese proverb, always take an emergency leisurely. 
I like that. Really reflects some biblical truth. Another another uh, Roman type of a philosopher said this. Cyrus said this. Anyone can hold the helm when the sea is calm. I like these metaphors of sailing because so many times life is like that, isn't it? So be cautious. Another thought. Be comforted. Ultimately, I had to make up a word. Sorry. Ultimately, jerkdom doesn't win out. Okay. I, I, I just I just like the way that sounds. You know, there's, life's, there's jerks. There's just jerks in the world, right? There's a bunch of them. I don't know. Sometimes it seems like there's a little more concentrated area right around this New Jersey area. I'm not sure. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. Um, uh, I do know this. They need, they, those people need grace and love, just like we all do. It's one of the things I love about being here being able to reflect God's grace and love to, to people who, who seem like they are jerks. In this case, these guys were jerks, the brothers, Joseph's brothers. And here's the deal, and here's why I love that verse. Here's where I read it about four or five times. I'm going to read it again. That verse that says, God turned into good what you meant for evil. God can overrule wrong actions, bad attitudes, and impure motives. God can overrule that. And he does all the time. That's a comforting thought to me. Because some people out there mean to hurt you. And I'm not just talking about the terrorist. They do, certainly. I'm talking about sometimes people in your family, people who you work with, people who are clients, friends, whatever. Supposed friends. Um, another person's motives. Just think about this for a moment. Another person's motives doesn't need to be your biggest concern when you understand God and what he's doing in your life. It's nice to know they mean well, but sometimes they don't, sometimes they don't even know what they mean. A couple of thoughts here. Richard Bach said this, what the caterpillar calls a tragedy, the master calls a butterfly. That's a good thought. What the caterpillar calls a tragedy, the master calls a butterfly. Voltaire put it this way, and I love this thought. The longer we dwell on our misfortunes, the greater is their power to harm us. The Bible says, forgive quickly. Ephesians 4 says, forgive before the sun goes down when you're angry. My paraphrase. And I think that's, what, that's exactly what, what Voltaire is saying there. The longer we dwell on our misfortunes, the greater is their power to harm us. We start getting embittered. We start getting hurt. We start getting, how could they do that? Why do they do that? Don't dwell on that. Continue to ask God for the ability to forgive. And that's a process. Don't ever forget that. That's a process. So be comforted. Jerks may win for a little while, but not ultimately. Fourth thought that I want to give you, be diligent. Our deal is to learn divinity-driven flexibility. Okay? Our deal is to learn, what do you mean by that? Divinity-driven flexibility. Life is not about, you know, it's not about control, but flexibility in responding rightly. That God will give me the, the ability and the power to flex in a situation. Because I don't know, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the next day is going to bring. Jesus gives us those words in Matthew. Um, 
Planning is great, but we have to be, we have to have that, what I call that God-given flexibility in life, or we're going to be one miserable creature. Um, he, he said a lot of things I really didn't like, but Huxley said something here that I like a lot. Let me show it to you. Life is not about, life is not about control. Oh, I, I just talked about it. Let, let me show you. Keep going. Let me give you the Huxley quote. Here it is. Experience is not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. That comes from a, from a, a worldly philosopher, so to speak. Experience is not what happens to you. It's what, it's what you do with what happens to you. It's so true. I'm going to give it to you from a great, same type of meaning from a quote from a great preacher, great man of God that I have a high regard for. Charles Swindoll said it this way. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. 10% what happens to us, 90% how we respond to it. And I want to, when you think about that, I want to, I got to say this. I don't believe that we can respond rightly as Joseph did. I don't believe we can do that outside of the power of Almighty God working in our lives. I don't have the ability, as I said a moment ago, I don't have the ability to respond like Joseph did. I don't, in, inside of me, I don't have that ability in and of myself. Now, by God's power and by God working in me, I do. That's only, and it's the same thing with you. That's why it's so important that we understand who and why and how, what we are rightly related to. And that's where it comes back to, it's a God thing. It begins, it continues, and it ends with God. And when we talk about being diligent, our deal is, is to learn this, this, this divinity-driven flexibility, this God-driven flexibility. It comes as we are rightly related to God. It begins... It begins when we come to Christ and come to God and say, God, I want to I trust you. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I believe he came and, and died, suffered and died for me, went to the cross for me, rose again for me, just for me. And he did. Someone said if you'd been the only person in the world, Jesus would have done the same thing just for you. I remember one time talking to a guy and we were, we were going over a, a verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's King James, because I memorized it. Um, and I remember saying to him, for God so loved the world. I said, just, just, I was speaking metaphorically, and he took it literally. I said, just cross that out and put your name in there. For God so loved, his name I think was Jim. For God so loved Jim. And he literally crossed out the word in his Bible, and he, he took it literally. I said, that's okay. God's not going to mind. But the point that I wanted to make was God did that for you. And we, come, we become people of faith as we come to Christ, individually, privately. Some of us here, many of us here have done that. But then it doesn't end. There's also the process of, Lord, I've I got to trust you. This thing is working on me again. I've I got to have this attitude of Joseph, and frankly, I don't have it. Because if I've got the ability... You know, here's, here's the cool thing about Joseph. Just think about this. We've got to stop. But just think about this. Many of, us, many of us get in those situations, and we never have the power to get back at somebody. 
You know, so we say it's never an issue for me because I really never have that ability. So here's the question. Here's a little mind game you've got to play with yourself. If I have that ability, what am I going to do with it? Because so many times we don't ha- He has the ability. Sometimes we fantasize about that ability. Well, if I ever get in a position, I am going to come down. You know. But he had that ability, and he didn't use it to come down on him. He could have done all kinds of stuff. That's a God thing. And that only comes as we trust continually an almighty God to work in our lives and through our lives. And that is what people of faith do. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful that we can come and just explore some of these truths. And Lord, we're all coming here just in our small group that we are this morning. We're all coming from different places. Um, some, of us, some of us are dealing with things that this is, this is real fresh. And some of us are dealing with things maybe from the past, and some of us are being prepared for future things. Whatever the situation, Lord, I, I do ask that you just take these truths and drive them into our hearts and into our minds. And that some of us, as we, as we seek to trust you, continually, or maybe for the first time, that it would would become a a reality, a reality of authenticity, of, of just a continual trust of Christ to work in our hearts and through our hearts and through our lives. So we, we commit that to you. We pray for that, and we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.